the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spot Track, S P O T R A C, and get yourself 40% off that first year subscription today. Download the app, personalize it with the teams and the leagues you care about the most, and get exclusive ad free content. Start today at theathletic.com slash Spot Track. Happy Monday. My name is Mike Giannetti. Big, big sports weekend. Big one. I feel like I was wall to wall. Got back from vacation, watched a bunch of back- basketball. Some of it was awful. It got way better as the weekend went on. A heck of a NASCAR race, if if that fancies you at all. A weird kind of a quasi-dirt track that ended up being fun at the end with some weather implications. Plenty of good baseball. We'll round back into Major League Baseball probably at the end of this week. Kind of do like a two-week uh, recap see where things stand. And I do have a pretty good handle now on most of these payrolls. So I do want to do some, some deep dives into that a little bit more with cousin Dan, but everything's here. Hockey's really ramping up. I've been watching some local hockey, even though they're irrelevant right now. It's, it's been a fun weekend and the NFL is about to take over again. So it's kind of nice to have a change of pace with some of these smaller sports and just a more variety of sports at this time of year before Everything rounds back into the, the big business, right? And that's where we're going to be in about a week and a half here when the NFL draft gets here. We will certainly focus on that some more. And I do have some NFL updates here to start us off with. I guess I'm ob- ob- obligated to go quarterback here with Derek Carr. Uh, I'm not an I told you so kind of guy, but this Derek Carr contract, this is exactly where it was go- always going to be. I mean, he's not an elite player. He doesn't have the playoff wins. I keep seeing really smart people putting out really dumb tweets to be kind of negative on a Monday morning. (laughs) We got to stop doing this. I can't sit in front of this microphone and say this enough. This is the only position that matters. And that sounds cliched and stupid. It's the only position that matters. A A team is going to pay a quarterback an absurd amount of money and pay nobody else at some point in time. It's going to happen. It's going to happen where there's going to be, in fact, uh, hasn't that, that been the, the Packers' motto for eight years now since Aaron Rodgers' last extension, not just the one they just signed? That's kind of how they've been operating. Is We're just going to slap it all together because we got the guy. And for the most part, that's been good enough to contend. Not win, but contend. So I don't know how much more evidence you need than... If we got a guy who's at least good enough to be a guy, he's going to get paid. And now that the, that the new bar is $50 million a year, $40 million is tier two. So Derek Carr was always going to get $40 million, even though he valued at 37 mathematically. He was always going to get $40 million. So let's talk about this quickly off the top here. Because I see a lot of uh, articles and tweets and whatever. And I, I understand that it's a four-year contract, that it's there's a three-year extension, that the total value of the contract is $141 million, which means 141 divided by four is not 40. It's 35 and change. That's right. But, and, and there's nothing wrong with evaluating the contract that way. That is a perfectly fine way to evaluate Derek Carr's contract. It's a four-year total contract at $35.3 million a year. That's correct. But it's not how we're going to put it in the system. Because it's not how the NFL puts it in their system. That's not how the NFLPA puts it in their system. New money, new years. That's the value of the terms. So 
in our system, he's a forty and a half million per year uh, quarterback player, which is fourth in the NFL right now. You're not wrong saying it's four years at thirty five point three, but you better go back to Russell Wilson and all those other players. Ninety five percent of the players in our system are living off of this extension type policy. And by the way, you know m- many other sports follow this. Basketball doesn't. Hockey doesn't because they are, they built her off of the actual cap. So you can't just do a restructured extension in those leagues. But this is how the NFL has always operated. New money, new years. So it's fake. And that's why we do a lot of analysis on these things because there's a world, uh, there's actually no world where Derek Carr is going to make $40 million per year off of this. In fact, he's only going to make $100 million over the next three years. So if you just break it down to practicality, He's a $33 million player right now, which is probably about where many of you Derek Carr haters wanted him to be, financially speaking. He's there. That's what the guts of his contract say. And if we get dirtier with this, and I've had some conversations with some Raiders people specifically noting this, this is a one-year contract. He was set to make $19.8 million in the final year of his previous contract, a salary plus a workout bonus. That workout bonus remains. It's now a $25 million contract. Okay. All of the guarantee at signing is this year, 2022. You got a $7.5 million bonus, $17 million salary, and that, and that workout bonus. They can walk away as long as he's healthy. They can walk away from this thing after this year for nothing. For a $5.6 million dead cap hit on that signing bonus and no other cash to be paid. So they structured this as a one and done if they need to, which I get because this is a brand new coaching staff, brand new GM, a lot of moving pieces here. It's going to be difficult for all these things to come together as quickly as this year. And if the whole thing's awful, and if Derek Carr really isn't a good fit in this Josh McDaniel system, even though I think McDaniel thinks it's, it's going to work out well, but if it doesn't, they can walk away from this thing immediately. So while the potential outline is after year one, it's not a likely out. It's a potential out. It means that the contract is built to get out after one year if necessary. Now, once they get to March 2023, it gets a little more difficult because not only does all of 2023 lock in, but $7.5 million of 2024 locks in for Derek Carr. So basically what this contract says in, in the English language is it's a one-year showcase which is what the end of his contract was going to be anyway last, you know, in the previous deal. So we got a basically a, a $5 million boost for a one-year trial. That's fair. It's good business, actually. And then if they deem it successful, you're probably getting two more now. So now it turns into three years, $100 million. Again, it's not $40 million a year. It's not even $35 million a year. It's $33.3 million a year. So that's why we do this analysis, not because I like to hear myself talk out loud, but because the NFL contracts require it. The NFL PA system, the NFL system, they say this is a three-year, $121 million contract. I'm here to tell you, I'm not even sure he's going to make 100 on this contract. But he could. He could make 141 over four years, as many of you are noting. That, that is the correct total value of this four-year contract, but it's three new years, $121 million. So it's a one-year, let's see with a little bit more money than he was going to make last year. And 
after that, it pretty much becomes a three-year deal. Here's the thing. Derek Carr is only 31 years old, and he's barely 31 years old. So if he flakes out, if this Raiders thing doesn't work out, somebody's going to be sitting there for him next year. It's a very tradable contract. It's a very Deshaun Watson-type contract, low signing bonus, uh, minimal dead cap to move on. You know, most all of it's base salary that'll transfer to the new team. So it's crazy flexible in the, in the fact that they can get out of it. They could trade it. They could just flat out release him. They could keep it and restructure him next year and make it really friendly for a cap purposes next year to add more pieces, to extend some players. Darren Waller's going to need a new contract. No question about that. Do you stick around with Hunter Renfro another year? There's some miles to feed that, uh, you know, have to come either at the end of this summer or into next year to complement all the work they've done this offseason with Chandler Jones, Devontae Adams, you know the deal. So I, uh, I think it's a very, very smart, well-constructed contract. And they didn't have to do this. They could have just said, look, this guy's already on an expiring contract, making almost $20 million. Let's just leave it there and, and let that be the showcase and see where we go from there. And then obviously, if it goes well, we'll extend him and, and, and do, do right by him in 2023. They did it early. They did right by the position, and they didn't put themselves in, in. They didn't back themselves into a corner with it. It's good stuff. Derek Carr gets a little bit extra coin to basically see what he can do this year with this brand new regime, brand new, somewhat brand new team, better team, I would think. And if he proves that he can hold his his end up of the bargain, which I think he can, I think he's that kind of quarterback, then he's good value from here out. Quite frankly. Because the cash is 33, 42, and 41 from here out. So we got plenty of guys now making 45 to 50 in terms of their base salaries. And we'll see plenty more of that coming. Kyler Murray's going to get there. Joe Burrow's going to be right behind the door here. It's coming. So there's, uh, there's not really much to look into this with. And I, the, the feedback I've gotten is you, you've, your contract is wrong. It's not a $40 million contract. It is. It is until it isn't. It is until it isn't. It's $121 million added on to what he was previously set to make. That's how the math works with these extensions. I'm happy to explain that again to anybody who needs it. Um, when I first started doing this, some, oh God, almost 15 years ago now, I hated that too. I hated that we were basically throwing fake numbers up there that were being rounded nicely for agents and for headlines. And that's still what we're doing. And, you know, guys like Mike Flora go out there and, you know, burst blood vessels at seven o'clock AM Eastern trying to explain that, my God, it's not what it seems. It's not what it seems. And you can do that and, and stray negative as much as possible, or you can just explain it this way, which is there is a version of it. That is that there is three new years. There's 121.5 million new dollars added. Let them have that. Let that be what's marketable, what's, what's put out there. That's fine. As long as everybody else who cares about this contract or who needs to understand this contract for dynasty purposes, for whatever you're doing here, for, you're just a Raiders fan and you're worried that you just sunk $100 million into Derek Carr. You didn't. All you did is sunk $25 million into Derek Carr, which is $5 million more than you, had to, than, you, than you previously were sinking into him. And after this year, now it becomes basically a two-year deal. Not, not actually firmly a two-year deal, but let's, let's say a year and a half deal after this season. 
in, in once it gets to March. So there's plenty of ways to get out of this one. There's a little bit of faith, but not a ton of faith with this contract. And I think what we're going to see is if they're great, let's say they're good this year, they're better this year, and then they end up being great in 2023, with, there's a chance. They're going to have to rip this thing up because it's just not going to hold at that point with a $245 million cap-ish with three quarterbacks approaching 45 to 50 million, maybe five. You're going to have to redo this. And they'll be happy to do so if they've got a team that can contend at that point. So it's a good small contract. You know, every agent in the world would have said, you got to get two years fully guaranteed at signed. They didn't. They didn't get this one. So um, I get it. And he's young enough to the point where you can, you can allow this to happen. You can let the team grow up with him right now. Get out of this, whether it's the Raiders getting out of it or whether it's him saying after two years, let's redo this. I, I, I did right by you in, in 2022. Now it's 2024. Things have changed again. The landscape of the quarterback has, has improved even more. You got to bump me up. You got to make me a true 45 million per year quarterback. You got to give me two and a half years full of guaranteed at sign. Let's do this the right way now because I'm 33 and starting to see the end, of the, the end of the finish line here. That's all. He's still kind of in that bridge role in terms of his age. And this is good pay for a guy who's not quite there, but is teetering on being there, which is exactly how I think Derek Carr is viewed right now. So good on him. Good on the Raiders. Like I said, the Raiders didn't have to do this. So good, good business by them, I believe, to kind of round out their big, big offseason. All right. Uh, voluntary workouts have begun. I generally don't dabble in, but there's a lot of talk about players who aren't showing up. We did a piece or actually a show before I left. So about a week and a half ago, really spotlighting these wide receivers and some of the contracts that were a coming in, right? Devonta Adams, Stefan Diggs, Tyree kill versus some of these younger guys who are now sitting around here looking, saying, well, my contract's expiring. Where the hell is my money? Right. That's DK Metcalf. That's AJ Brown. That's Kerry McLaurin in Washington. All three super able, super competent, high-level wide receivers. There's, as I mentioned, there's a problem though. The problem is this is the third straight off season where there's been good wide receivers available via trade, good wide receivers available via free agency, and good wide receivers available via the draft. There's a, there's a surplus right now. And I don't see that slowing down based on what I'm watching in college football. So it's not good for business. It's not good for, you know, the 25 year old who's looking for top, top market contracts. And I think what I laid out in the last show, which I I'll say again, cause I, I really do agree with it is there's almost like an NBA pecking order happening here, which is you're not seeing these young guys go right to the top of the market with their second contract. That's being handled by the third contract, which is what Diggs and Tyreek and those guys, Devante just got with their respective teams. Those guys are going to be the top of the market players versus I think this next tier, which is going to be in the middle, in the middle, which is kind of follows that path of if it's the NBA, there's a 20% of the cap max, and then there's a 30% of the cap max and a 35% of the cap max. And those increase based on your level of experience. I think just kind of haphazardly, that's what's happened here at the wide receiver market. So in saying that, if Tyreek's 30 a year, and boy, is he not 30 a year based on the Derek Carr discussion we just had, 
um, you know, let's say 27 is the real number. Because De- DeAndre's number is kind of fake. Devontae's number is pretty good in terms of where he lies here. And Stefan Diggs' number is really good where he lies. So let's say the number is between 25 and 27 million a year for a proper second contract here. You know, is A.J. Brown a 22? Is McLaurin a 22? Is D.K. Metcalf a 22? All have their own things. There's some injury issues there. There's some production issues there. There's some, is he a true number one conversations there with a couple of these players? And then Debo, who's in a a list over here because of what he does versatilely and what he does with the skill set. A lot of these guys just aren't showing up. You know, DK may show up to voluntary workouts. I, I want to reiterate this, though. Before, I don't want to go down the wide receiver path too much because, like I said, we just kind of attacked it, and there's going to be plenty of verbiage on that out there for you. But what I want to talk about is, right now it doesn't matter. It's all voluntary stuff. But keep in mind that this latest CBA from 2020 made it really, really hard, really dumb for rookies to hold out. Not so much now. It's an option now. But as we get to, into, the, into the June, July months and we approach training camp, there is really specific language in this CBA that says, if he's not there day one of the mandatory, mandatory reporting date, day one for preseason training camp, he loses an entire accrued season for that year. Even if he comes back in place, loses the accrued season. Which means, let's say I'm Debo Samuel, and I'll use him because he's the guy who scrubbed the uh, socials of San Francisco and all that good stuff. He's kind of next on this pecking order. So let's say it gets all the way to July, end of July, training camp's about to start, and there's cause for concern that he's literally just going to sit out. Well, he won't. And this is exactly why. The CBA basically says, you are not doing this anymore. The owners won this one. Because the second he doesn't report to that first day of training camp, some, what, July 29th-ish, he will lose the accrued season in the final year of his contract, which means he gets through 2022, whether he plays or not, he's a restricted free agent after 2022, which means San Francisco owns his rights, his tender, they can suppress his pay, all that fun stuff. All right? Nobody's going to let that happen. Getting to free agency or getting through that fourth season is as important as anything right now to these players. It just is. And you'd rather not get paid and get to free agency than try like hell to get paid and have to, have to sit there with, with restricted free agency in front of you. you would just, that's just not a trade-off any agent player is going to take. It's just not. It's not. And you know how it goes with the franchise tag holdouts based on Le'Veon Bell situation. So I, I do think that there's a real policy in place right now. And by the way, showing up and not participating, that's not going to happen either with these players because the language also says not only do you have to be there, you have to participate for a material amount of time. Like you've got to be actively involved and it's really not negotiable. Now, the fines and all that stuff, the, the team can still waive all that stuff. The, the team can still throw that stuff out and, and kind of make a good faith business gesture. But not with the... Not with the training camp stuff. Not with the, with the actively participating part of this. They have to be there. They have to be participating. Or they will be docked the year in terms of the accrued year. And that's a bigger deal than anything. It's a, certainly a bigger deal than a $30,000 fine. Right? So 
it's early. It's really early in this process. And I do, I don't think any of these players are even headed towards this conversation. I guess I'd put Debo at the top of this list because I'm not sure anybody knows how to treat him right now financially. I just don't know. He's probably asking for the world and rightfully so. And it's really hard for math and, and past performances to evaluate him. So I get it. But just keep that in mind that if this gets to that point, the player's going to lose. The player's going to lose. So they have to do their dirty work right now. So don't get pissed off if your favorite player isn't showing up to a voluntary or even an, an OTA situation because this is the only time of the year where they really have leverage. So scrubbing their socials and maybe having their agents say something on Twitter or, or whatever it's going to be, this is the only period of time in their offseason where they can literally do some fighting. Because once it gets to the end of July, they have to comply because of this, this clause, Article 8, Section 1B in the CBA. They just have to. It's too damaging to not comply with this clause. So I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think all these guys are going to get a contract. Like I said, I think it's around the 22 range for most of these players because they have time to get paid again if they're really elite. It's not how I would do my business, but it seems to be the way that things are going with this position specifically. And uh, I believe it has to do with the fact that we could just go back to the draft and get another one. That's, that's a damaging thing to happen, but you basically have to prove for eight years that you are worth the price of admission. And then when you do, and you become a Tyreek, a Stefan, a Devante, when you, when, you, when you graduate to that level, not only are you great in your rookie, throughout your rookie contract, you're great throughout your sophomore contract. All right, we got to pay you a ridiculous amount of money now. You're, you're just one of those players. That's what's, what it's going to take to get a top-of-the-market contract as a wide receiver right now, and rightfully so. That's a supply-demand system, and that happens with all, all lines of business. So it's going to be difficult for these guys to go big, big money, in my opinion, but big enough, I think, to get it done for this summer and not have to deal with this holdout structure. And the last NFL player I'll focus on today is James Bradbury, the cornerback for the New York Giants, who has been, I don't know, rumored, noted to be a trade candidate, a release candidate, a restructure candidate, I don't know, an extension candidate, I think I saw at one point in time. He's been all over the board. And the Giants as a whole are kind of that way because there's a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad choices on that roster or not on that roster anymore that are still financially affecting that roster. And Joe Shane's now there from the Buffalo Bills who does, you know, is going to do business a lot differently than Dave Gettleman did. That's just, I'm sitting here a few, a few miles away from uh, one Bills drive here. And I had a firsthand look at how uh, Brandon Bean and, and certainly Joe Shane underneath him do their work, did their work. And now that's being brought to the Giants organization. I can tell you right now this out loud. Uh, if, he's, if Joe Shane's going to be taking the Brandon Bean philosophy with him, then why wouldn't he? There's no reason to do anything with James Bradbury right now. Now, you can look at cap space alone, and that's what many of these uh, tweets in my direction have been pointing to. Well, they got to do something. They only have $6 million in cap space, and their draft pool is $16.2 million because of the trades they made. That's great. That draft pool doesn't even come into play until July. They don't have to sign anybody. You can draft a guy, and you don't have to sign anybody until day one of training camp to get him in board. And in a lot of cases, that's what's going to happen here. So there's no cap issue at all right now. Yeah, they got six and change to work with and 70 players under contract. So, you know, there's about to be 20 contracts added, a lot of them undrafted free agents that will slightly impact this. But there's, no, there's not a catastrophe happening here, financially speaking. They can 
restructure Leonard Williams and free up a boatload of cap right off the top. And I think that's something they probably will end up doing because he's a player. And I think Joe Shane's going to say, hey, he's going to be here for two more years. Let's just push some cap down the line, be smart about this, even though that's not my favorite thing in the world to do. I could see that happening versus moving on from James Bradbury in a way that isn't beneficial to the Giants. Here's what I'm thinking. We're six weeks from this draft. Excuse me, we're a week and a half from this draft. Okay? Somebody's not going to get their cornerback. It's just a fact. There seems to be a pretty good crop of those in the first couple of rounds, but somebody's not going to get their guy. And by the way, it could be Buffalo. <laughs> Buffalo absolutely needs a cornerback. And if things don't fall the right way in that first round and they're sitting you know, very late in the first round, it may not happen. It may not happen for them. And they may you know, have to settle for a second or third round player who may not be ready to, t- to slot in for an injured Tredavious White <clears throat> for a lost Levi Wallace. So there could be an immediate connection right there between Joe Shane and Brandon Bean saying, look, keep him there. I'm in on Bradbury. It's probably a late summer move I, I will make if I have to, but let's see how the draft goes. And by the way, there's probably three or four other teams in that same exact boat who are sitting. We got a couple options in the draft. Obviously, we'd like to go rookie draft wage if we can and get a young player who's cheaper, who we can kind of groom into our system. But if that doesn't work out, you got a guy that we could definitely use right now in an all-in status. Keep him. Keep him until you know the Bills or, or, or the Steelers or some of these other teams that lost the quarterback this offseason absolutely need to, to make a move. Then make the move. There, there's really no financial uh, benefit to doing otherwise. They can afford him right now. They have a little cap room. They can free up cap room in other areas. There's no need to release him. Let's see how things go. There's a lot of, you know, injuries happen in workouts, unfortunately, and certainly draft boards don't work out exactly the way you want them to. So, um, and oh, by the way, a post-June 1st trade of Bradbury is actually better business for the Giants as well, if you want to go that route. Frees up even more cap space. So there's a lot of back and forth here with this, with this move. And by the way, keeping him isn't the worst decision either. It's a passing league. He's a, he's a nice player. You know, he's had up and down years, a little bit inconsistent, and he's probably a little bit overpaid based on what we've seen out of him. But there are worse players to have, you know, in, in your first regime year for this Giants organization. So I just think he's a chip you can, you can hold a little longer. There's no need to be rash about it. The cap space isn't a problem right now. And when it is, that can be addressed other ways. So he's a chip to hold. Teams are probably still in. Nobody's just pushing him away. It's a 13 million and change contract to take on. You know, there's a workout bonus that may be in jeopardy because he's probably going to be standing away from the Giants right now, unfortunately, with all this mess around him. But I, I, do, I just think that no need to rush. That's all. And I'd say the same exact thing about Baker Mayfield. No need to rush. You don't start paying him until September at all. So things happen. Draft boards don't fall the way they want. Injuries happen, and certainly even in training camp they happen. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to move on from Baker Mayfield outside of the bad press. And with Baker, it, it, that's going to be a thing. You know, he's going to hem and haw, and, and rightfully so. He's gotten, uh, <laughs> he's gotten pushed out, I think, quicker than many people thought he was, was going to get pushed out in Cleveland. But the, the Watson situation certainly came to the forefront. So. I'd hold. I'd hold the card. 
it, it's a risky move, but it's the right business move, I think, for the Giants and Cleveland, respectively, in this regard. All right, real quick, switch to the NBA, because like I mentioned, I watched a bunch of the NBA playoffs. Some of it was garbage. Some of it got really great. And uh, this Boston-Brooklyn series is just set up to be a monster. I can't believe it's a round one series, but here we are. Uh, you know, uh, just kind of scrolling through and getting glimpses of, uh, of how these teams are made up. And, you know, I, I unfortunately have to look at these things differently, right? I'm not just looking at players on a court. I'm kind of looking at the business of how this te- the teams were constructed on a court. And that's why we have Keith Smith and, and Scott Allen doing the work they do behind the scenes for us. But I kind of sit on top on, on a surface level and say, okay, LeBron's out. Damien's out. Where are we right now with the finances of basketball and roster construction that can be successful in April, May, and June? And it feels like there's a bit of a shift. And, and there's not enough to say it's a trend yet and, and a true shift. But if I just go back five years here, right? twenty-eight, The 2018-19, that's the Toronto final. The Raptors, Kawhi win. Okay, Kyle Lowry was fifth in terms of money at that point in time. You know, Kawhi was a little bit down the list still. He was kind of just getting his sea legs, having been moved on from San Antonio. He wasn't really yet being paid in superstar status. He was 20 million plus, you know, 34th in the league at that point in time. But that was Kyle Lowry's team, as we all, all very much know. And DeRozan was, you know, the one shipped away from that team. And, and that was the one-two punch to start. So they were a, a fairly highly paid team to begin. Got a little cheaper, actually, with Kawhi coming on board at that point in time. But needless to say, they won a title with a top five paid player, Kyle Lowry. That happened. We go to the next year. That's the bubble year, right? LeBron is seventh in pay at that point. Anthony Davis is 36th. You know, they had some pretty good, good coin on that roster. And then a lot of depth in that they ended up trading away for Russ Westbrook. But LeBron was seventh. So again, another top 10 player getting to the title last year and last year's big, right? Last year's Milwaukee finally gets it done. Giannis is still on contract number two at that point, 36th in the league in pay. Going back, that's about as low as I can go to get a top paid player on a, on a championship team in a while, in a very long time. And is that a one and done deal? Maybe, right? Because if we flip to this year's pay, it's, a little bit different, right? It's a little bit different. Because if we talk about who the favorites are this year, all right? Like, let's say, for instance, that we all assume Phoenix is the favorite. Well, Devin Booker right now is the highest paid Phoenix Sun. And he's 24th in the league. Chris Paul's 30th. So those two combined, obviously, that's 61 million plus. That's what you want on a team. But that's, that's nowhere near the top of the pay right now. That's nowhere near it. And you can say, well, you're only thinking one track. You're only thinking money. No, I'm not. Because again, money is tied to experience in this league. Directly, you can only make as much money as the years of experience you have tied to you. And there's some leeway based on superstardom and things like that. But for the most part, the guys at the top of the list are going to be the most veteran senior players in your league. That's one of the benefits of the NBA structure. And I think it's a good way to do it for them. Not for everybody, but for them. But Phoenix, again, they've got 24th and 30th. I think a lot of people think this Boston team has a chance in the East. Well, Tatum is 36th. Jalen Brown is 42nd. So there's a similar girth to what Phoenix is doing there. 
right? Not top, but two near the top, closer to the top, that combined take up a big chunk of our active cap. If we talk about just the top 10 pay, and I'll give you the list quickly. Curry, slight chance. John Wall, yep. James Harden, slight chance. Russell Westbrook, yep. Kevin Durant, slight chance. LeBron James, yep. Dame Lillard, yep. Giannis, great chance. He's eighth this year. So that would then round back into form. Giannis just wasn't on his big contract yet, okay? He did it on his second contract last year. He's going to do it on his big contract this year, and he's eighth. So that would kind of fit the, the recent trend, right? The trend from the past 10 to 15 years, quite frankly. Whereas you just have to have that one guy who's been through it all, who's paid like he's been through it all, to kind of get yourself to the finish line. And maybe that's what it's going to take to do a, a back-to-back for Milwaukee. So the honest conversation is kind of a reverse conversation. <laughs> Ninth, Paul George. Yep. Kawhi Leonard. Tenth. Yep. Sixth, of the top 10 paid players in the NBA right now are not even in the conversation. Two of them made the play-in and then were bounced in George and Kawhi. The other four didn't even make the postseason. So right off the bat, you can call this an anomaly here. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Because a bunch of these contracts are contracts that should never have been signed. So there's a little bit of recklessness here that we've talked about quite a bit with the NBA. But right off the bat, six out of 10, not even in this conversation. So there's only a, a 40% chance <laughs> that a top 10 paid player is going to win the, the championship. And of them, Giannis easily has the best chance. I'd probably put Durant second, though, you know, the Philly people are going are to certainly be pushing for Harden at this point. So that conversation is difficult. There's no question about it. Um, by the way, Milwaukee now has eight and 14 with Middleton and Giannis. So both those contracts took a big step forward. And that would be one of the most higher paid one, two punches to win the whole thing. And I do think they got a very good chance to do that. Outside of that, right? Who else is in this conversation? Who else is in this conversation? Brooklyn. And it's, it's vital. Brooklyn's sitting with Durant at five, Irving at 17, and Ben Simmons at 19. And certainly they're not paying the full 33. A lot of that was paid out this offseason. A lot of that was never paid and is still trying to be retained in court right now. But three top 19 players in Brooklyn right now, what's that going to do for their depth going forward? It's going to be a problem because Kyrie's getting an extension, it looks like at this point. My point is this. It looks like, and it makes perfect sense, living in that top 30 with two guys. So maybe outside of the top 10, but inside that top 30 with two guys is the sweet spot. And that's going to be really hard to do because NBA money is stupid money. We're only going north. We're going 50 million plus per year here regularly soon. We're right around the corner from that. So that's going to drive the, uh, the conversation with a lot of things. but. It seems like that's the sweet spot. And some of that is Chris Paul coming down a little bit, financially speaking. And some of that is knowing when to strike. You know, Devin Booker is in that second contract window where it's not absurd yet. It's going to be 
He's certainly worth absurd. But right now is a really good time to build deep around them because they're in the 20s, not in the teens or not in the single digits. And that matters because this is a tax league. This is a cap league. And there is some finagling. But if you want to kind of keep a core together, like, like the Phoenix just did from last year, like Milwaukee just did from this year. By the way, Milwaukee now, totally different conversation, right? Milwaukee's not living thriftly this year like they did last year. Milwaukee with last year is kind of Phoenix this year. So Milwaukee has graduated to a top 10 and top 15 and a top 21. Okay, they are 8, 14, and 21 between Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis. So that's, that's buco pay. So the fact that they were able to build in depth behind that, and they did have a couple of guys kind of play ball with them, that's to their credit. That's good business, and that's players who want to be with Giannis. Let's be honest about what that is. That's a superstar who has the right attitude, the right personality, and certainly the right physical play to attract players that can win championships. So that's on him. But that's not normal. And it doesn't seem to be the way that many of these teams are operating right now. And I think this is going to be a bit of a change, and a change of pace, and a different way to look at things. Because if Boston does finally get this right, and it's based on defense, and it's based on, quite frankly, cheap big men, and just load it up on the backcourt, which is what they've chosen to do here, kind of on the fly here as well. That's going to be the route, and that's bad news for big men if more teams have to go this route. But, you know, maxing out on one player, right? If, if this becomes the Dallas Mavericks, for instance, if it's Luka at the top, and he's consistently going to be in the top eight of pay for the next 10 years, which is certainly possible, it's just really hard to get there right now, I think. It's really hard to get there because a lot of other things can't happen below that. As, and the Lakers are exhibit A, B, and C. When you try to just push all your chips into three ridiculously high-paid players, and let's talk about how ridiculous it was. Westbrook at four, LeBron at, at six, Anthony Davis at 15. That's nuts. I mean, that is much more than we can say about the, the Nets, much more than we can say about Milwaukee. And they're sitting at home watching this thing just like you and I are. So it seems simple just to say, whoa, you know, you need more players, not less players. You need to spread out the wealth versus just going all in. I'm, t- I'm here to tell you that 10 years ago, this was not the case. 10 years ago, it was get three guys, pay them as much as possible because these guys know what they're doing. And 85% of the time, they are going to win you the ball games on their own. And I'm, I, I'm telling you right now that that narrative has shifted or it's at least diminished and is beginning to shift. And it wouldn't surprise me if a team like Boston or a team like Miami, who are sort of living in that middle, certainly Phoenix right now, get this thing done, not just because of what they're doing on the court, but because of how they're constructed financially behind the scenes. All right, we'll be back in a couple of days. Baseball roundup with Cousin Dan. Uh, probably another NFL draft preview. We'll start talking about some of those rookie wage scales for 2022 and what that's going to look like. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson's projected contract, all that sort of stuff. And uh, some potential contract extensions for Major League Baseball. I did a piece on SpotTrack.com for those of you who like to do some reading. I broke down about 25 contract extensions from this offseason. There were some good ones. Some top level, you know, young guys kind of peaking early. Obviously, some replacements like Matt Olson going to, to Atlanta and taking over for Freddie Freeman. 
and uh, Toronto's explosion. They've got four four contracts on there. Colorado Rockies have four contracts on there. Just internal extensions for whatever reason that accrued to a ton of money. I broke them down kind of piece by piece, salary by salary, what it meant, means for the tax payrolls, uh, you know, any kind of potential out patterns, things like that, incentives that are built in. Just comprehensive breakdowns for 25 or so off-season extensions from this past Major League Baseball off-season. And we're going to kind of push forward now and say, all right, is there somebody on, a, on every, each baseball team that still needs a contract? Obviously, we talked to Aaron Judge at length a couple of days ago. He's going to be on this list for sure, even though it's not forthcoming, it looks like. What else? There's plenty of players around the league right now that could be, could be in contention for this. Some of them are 30. Some of them are 21. You know, And that's just kind of where the league is right now. Everybody's viable for a contract, even if you haven't even taken a plate appearance yet. So that's coming up down the docket. And then I'll be doing some NFL recap work, like I mentioned last time, with where are we going? with subtractions, some ads, what's still left to do, some extension candidates in the NFL as we get to and through the NFL draft. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. For Scott Allen and Cousin Dan, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. Thank you.